Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avirachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that as we open up your word today, that you will speak boldly into our hearts and our lives, that it will be your word heard, your word received, that nothing of me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Have your way in our midst and reveal yourself in a mighty and powerful way that we may leave here different than the way we came in. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says... Amen and amen. So, uh, as a lot of you know, uh, last week, week before last, I lost track at this point, I think it was week before last, we were in Orlando, we were in Orlando twice for conferences, like two weeks apart, back to back, it's crazy this time of year, but uh, we were in Orlando for the Rabbis Conference, the IMCS Rabbis Conference, and, uh, and it was a, a good time. We, we, I really took a lot from it and, and came home with uh, some ideas of things to help uh, uh, project our congregation to the next, uh, the, the next phase of what the Lord has in store for us and uh, got to reconnect with people and such. And it was really awesome. But one of the days that we were there, I think it was the Tuesday of the conference. It started on Monday night as Tuesday. Maybe it was Wednesday of the conference. Uh, the, the IMCS started a couple of years ago at the Rabbi's Conference trying to take some time out of the day just to get away from the hotel in the conference to go do something as a group. Uh, one year it was like putt-putt golf. Uh, one year they went uh, to watch movies. Uh, actually, several years they went to watch movies. Another year they went to do something else. I forget why, go-karts or something like that. Well, this year they decided to go across the street from the hotel to this, uh, there's this entertainment district mall kind of thing, and they have this place called the main event in there. And the main event is just a conglomeration of everything that every uh, uh, body in the world would ever want to do, right? It's video games like Dave and Buster's. It's uh, rope walk, uh, the, the rope walks, rope, what do they call them? Rope climbs. The uh, bowling, they've got bowling, they've got billiards, they've got uh, uh, tabletop uh, uh, shuffleboard. I mean, anything and everything you can imagine was there, plus there's food and such. Um, and so all of the rabbis and their wives and their families, that they brought families, uh, there's a, a handful of us younger leaders in the, the movement that everywhere we go, we bring kids with us because uh, we have kids that are young enough and have to go with us. And so there's a whole bunch of us with kids that go, and so we all went over and while we were there, it happened to be on Eliana's birthday, which was great because we got to do something special for Eliana's birthday <clears throat> that I didn't have to pay for, and uh, which was awesome. <clears throat> She doesn't know that, but uh, it was awesome. So we got to go uh, to, to do this thing. They, they bowled some. We played pool, and then uh, the, the kids wanted to go do the rope climb, uh, the, the rope course. That's what it's called, rope course. They wanted to go do the rope course, uh, which is up in, you know, over the arcade area. So imagine like a Dave and Buster's, but above all the games is this ropes course that, you know, big dudes are walking on, uh, and you're just hoping they don't fall on you. But uh, the, the, there was the rope course, and they wanted to go do it. And I was like, all right, cool. We'll, we'll go sign up. We'll get uh, our names on the list. We'll go in. And so it came our turn to go to the ropes course, and we get in there. And anybody ever done one of these before? I promise this is going somewhere. Uh, if, 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 you, if you've never done one of these, what you don't know is there's this really awkward harness thing you have to put on, right? Um, apparently, you had to have shoes, too. So my kids were in sandals. They had to borrow climbing shoes or whatever it was that they gave them for them. But, so my kids are down on the floor getting their shoes on, and they get the harness on. And you've got to get this really awkward harness thing on because they strap you by, like, almost a bungee cord kind of a thing in case you fall so you don't completely hit the ground. You just come a lot closer than you meant to, but you don't completely hit the ground. And then you hope that whoever's up there is strong 
strong enough to pull you back up. Um, but uh, so the kids wanted to do this. We're getting all this on. And it was me and Eliana Natanel, and I get my harness on. And after I get it on, they go, oh, we forgot to loosen that before you put it on. I was like, no wonder I felt like everything was coming out of place to try and get but got all positioned, got ready to go. You get the harness on, you get up on the thing, and we're starting to walk up the stairs, and the kids are in front of me, and, and there's four or five other rabbis, and, and one of the rabbi, two of the rabbis' wives that are up in front of us that are in the same group, and we're walking up the steps, and we get about three-quarters of the way up the steps, and I guess realization sank in because both of the kids turned around and went, Daddy, I don't want to do this anymore. Daddy, Daddy, I don't want to do. I don't want to do this anymore. Daddy, I'm locked up. I'm like, look, you got to go to the top before you can come down. That's just how these tracks work. There's, but Daddy, I don't want to do this anymore. Daddy, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this, baby. If you don't do it now, you're not going to have a chance. I'm not taking you back again. This is your shot. If you don't do it now and you're afraid and you decide not to do it because of fear, then you're going to rob yourself of something potentially fun. You should try it and see what you say. Daddy, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Both of them. So we get up to the top, and I loop their cable around, and I send them back down the stairs, and they go back down, and the harness comes off, and the shoes come off, and they walk around, and they're watching as me and the other rabbis and, and, and Rebbitsons are walking around the ropes course. And uh, I'm a big dude, and I don't have a lot of uh, finesse as I am lumbering about. And so it was, I didn't fall, but it was really interesting trying not to fall on everything. And uh, then the kids are down, and they're waving at me, and they're you know, laughing and having fun and whatever. I come back down, and the first thing out both of their faces is, Daddy, now that we know what it is, we want to do it. We want to do it. I said, no, guys, this was your shot. There are three other groups behind us that are just as big. You're not going to get to go again. That was your chance, and you, you, you blew by it. You were afraid, and you decided not to do it. Um, and, and I tell you this because I think it feeds directly into what this Parsha is. And, and I think about my kids. Uh, my kids are awesome. And generally speaking, Natanel is borderline fearless uh, until he realizes whatever it was he was doing was a bad idea and fear sinks in, but it's too late to do anything about it. Uh, but in this particular case, fear took over both of them. They got up there and just stopped. It reminded me of the first time we took the kids up in a helicopter and they were all excited to do it and they get strapped in and I'm sitting next to Natanel and Eliana's in the front. Eliana was, she had a black the whole time but the first time we go up not till I was like three years old or something and he just locks up didn't look around I mean just locked up in this seat and would not move for five minutes or whatever it was that were flying around Orlando in this helicopter and he's just locked and staring straight ahead at the back of the pilot's head and nothing and your buddy look over there nope nope <laughs> now he goes up and it's a blast but but I think about this and how fear is such a a painful reality in our, our human existence and how fear so often tries to rob us of what God's got in store, of what God wants to do, not only through us, but, but for us and through us for other people. Um, and so this week's Parsha, uh, it, it's, it's rattled with that idea. It's rattled with that concept, but not just with the idea that, that as fallen human beings, that there's the potential for fear to be there, but the reality that God is well aware of the fears that we may have before we even know, we may have fears. So we look at this week's Parsha, Exodus chapter 13, beginning with verse 17. Exodus 13, verse 17, it says, after Pharaoh had let them go, by the way, uh, you remember uh, last week, week before last, we talked about the, the Hebrew wording of, of Moses when Moses said, uh, when God said, Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. It's translated like this passive thing, let my people go. It, it wasn't. The, the actual Hebrew word is shalach. It means to, to cast them out, to send them out forcefully. Uh, this week's Parsha is be shalach, because the opening line is be shalach, and 
uh, he sent them out. He cast them out. It's that same word, shalach. So it's speaking of Pharaoh casting Israel out forcefully, which is exactly what happened. Pharaoh's son died. A whole bunch of other firstborns in Egypt died. And Pharaoh goes, nope, get out of here. I'm done with you. Uh, I don't want to see this anymore. So after Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines. Although that was nearby, for God said the people might change their mind if they see war and return to Egypt. So right out the gate, Israel is leaving Egypt. They, have, uh, they haven't gotten to the Amsuf. There's a much easier route to take that doesn't take quite as much faith to make happen, but right out the gate, you're going to run into war. So the question here is, God knew Israel would be afraid. Right? And as we'll read in just a moment, what Israel ended up with as the alternative to immediate fear was immediate fear with just a little bit of a delay. Right? They were still afraid. When Egypt came crashing down on them, they were still afraid. Nothing changed. So the question is, what was the difference? And the difference was that although God could have brought victory in both cases, there was something about the victory that would come forth from the route that God wanted them to go, that they would face not only their future but their past as well, that brought them to a place that showed God's power overall, but more importantly shows God's power to the nations. And not just the nations that aren't Israel, but Israel as well. Israel sees his power. Verse 18, so God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Sea of Reeds, uh, and B'nai Israel went up out of the land of Egypt armed. Let that sink in for a moment. God, we read last week the, the Parsha that God said, okay, I'm going to send one more plague. All of the firstborn of Egypt are going to die. I want you to go to all of your neighbors and your friends and everybody in Egypt and ask them for their gold and their silver and their trinkets and, and their tchotchkes and all the wealthy stuff. And, and, and they're going to show you favor and you're going to leave with all their wealth. And what it doesn't mention until now is they also left with all their weapons. So Israel was afraid of war. Rightly so. They've been enslaved for almost 100 years, give or take 100 and change years. Rightly so. They're afraid of war. Give them that one. Let them have it. But God already prepared them for war, right? They left with the weaponry of, Israel, of Egypt. They left with the armory of Egypt. God had already prepared them for war, yet they were afraid of what they would face. So we skip down to uh, uh, verse 20. It says, So they journeyed from Sukkot and encamped in Etam uh, on the edge of the wilderness Adonai went before them in a pillar of cloud by day and to lead the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so they could travel both day and night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night never departed the people. Verse 1 of chapter 14, Adonai spoke to Moses saying, Speak to B'nai Israel so that they turn back and encamp before Pi Hahirut between Migdol and the sea. You are to camp to the sea opposite Baal uh, Zephon, by the sea opposite Baal Zephon. Uh, Pharaoh will say concerning B'nai Israel, They are wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. The wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will follow after them. They, then I will be glorified over Pharaoh along with all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I I am Adonai. So they did so. So right here, we realize, okay, God didn't bring them by the way of the Philistines, the Pilishtim, because they might be afraid of war. They might get fearful and turn back to Egypt, right? So on one hand, they've got, you know, path A, and path A puts them uh, closer to the end game, closer to the promises and the blessings, closer to the future that God has in store for them. But it also will, without a doubt, drive Israel back to their past, because they're going to face war instantly, become afraid, and run back. Option two, 
door number two, whatever game show you want to play here. They're going the other way, which is the direction God wants them to go. They go back to the Yamsuf. By the way, God doesn't have plan A, plan B. It was always God's plan to take them by the Yamsuf. I just want that to be understood, okay? So he brings them to the Yamsuf. At the Yamsuf, they're standing before the sea. Uh, I like to imagine this. I can't say this necessarily how it was. I like to imagine as though there's the sea in front of them. I mean, it's night. They're trapped in by darkness. They don't know what's going on around them. And I like to picture that there's rock walls on either side of them. They can't turn to the right or to the left. And all that's in front of them is the water. And they all of a sudden start to hear the clamoring of the Egyptian forces behind them. By the way, the Parsha tells us that Pharaoh grabbed his army and their chariots and ran after them. Didn't grab their weapons because Israel already had them. So now, before they had the option of facing their future and immediately returning to their past because of fear. Now they've got the opportunity to face their future in a roundabout way, but face their future and their past is closing in on them. Their past being slavery, their future being freedom. The past is closing in on them. And they are just like they would have been with the Philistines. They are scared to death. They've got the weapons of Egypt, but they don't have the knowledge or the wherewithal of how to use it. They don't have the, the chutzpah because they've been beat down in slavery for 100 years. They don't have the chutzpah to be able to know that they can stand their ground and do what needs to be done. But Egypt is closing in on them anyways, and they become afraid. Verse 10 of chapter 14 says, when Pharaoh drew near, B'nai Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, so they were terrified. And B'nai Israel cried out to Adonai, they said to Moses, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness because there were no, were no graves in Egypt? Why have you dealt this way with us to bring us out of Egypt? Did we not say uh, to you in Egypt, let us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians? It was better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses says to the people, don't be afraid, stand still. And see the salvation of Adonai, which he will perform for you today. You have seen the Egyptians today, but you will never see them again, ever. Adonai will fight for you while you hold your peace. By the way, the Hebrew word there isn't shalom. The Hebrew word simply means to stand fast, to stand firm. Uh, so as we look at this, what we recognize is the, that Israel sees Egypt crashing down on them. They've got the presence of God, this miraculous reality of the presence of God in a column of fire in front of them. And they see the Egyptian forces crashing down on them from the rear, their future freedom in front of them, the, the past of slavery behind them coming up close and fast. And as it comes up, they begin to quake and fear and cry out, Lord, was it, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Could we not have just died there? Why did you bring us out here to die? And Moses says, look, just shut up. Just shut up. Has the Lord ever said that to you? Anybody? Ever heard God say, just shut up and listen to me? I'm tired of hearing you because you're talking so much you can't hear me. Just shut up. So Moses says, just shut up. Stand still and watch what God will do. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of Adonai. Not stand still and wait to see if maybe God does something. He doesn't say stand still and wait to see what could happen. He says stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Israel is scared to death. And this fear has almost robbed them of the reality of the blessing that God has in store. All because all they can think about is the worst possible scenario. Anybody find themselves in that situation? 
Any of you that have had conversations with me with ideas of things the synagogue can do, you will know I am that jerk that's going to go, well, this could happen and this could happen and this could happen and this could happen and this could go wrong and this could go wrong and we could get sued here and this could get broken and this could... I'm going to run through every possible option of how this could fail before my brain will ever get to any option of it being a success. It doesn't mean that it's a no. It's just you've got to work me through this process and let me roll with it for a couple of minutes and then you'll ultimately hear me say, now how are you going to make that happen? It's a great idea. How are you going to do it? I don't want to do it. I've got enough. What are you going to do? How are you going to make it happen, right? But we're, we're, this is how we're wired. And so Israel is standing here, and they're running through every possible worst-case scenario, the most obvious of which means bleeding to death in the middle of the wilderness with a sea in front of them and a raging army of Egypt who just lost their firstborn sons coming down upon them. There was no room in their brain because of fear for them to process the potential of God's power and authority in this situation. And so we read as we continue on that uh, as Egypt closes in on them, that the presence of the Lord lifts up from in front of Israel, hovers over the nation and descends behind them and creates a barrier between Egypt and Israel. And not just a barrier, but creates a barrier where on the Egyptian side it is dark and they can't see anything. And it says that the Lord casts confusion upon them. And on the Israelite side, it's light and it's bright and they can see in front of them and they can see. Why? Because we don't need to see the past. We need to get away from it. We need to work through it. We need to understand that we've been there, but it can't hold us back anymore if we trust in the future if we trust in what the Lord has in store on the other end. And so here we see that the presence of the Lord descends uh, behind them and, and he prepares this situation of, of protection between Egypt and Israel. And then all of a sudden the Lord tells Moses, now take your staff and stand at the waters and watch what will happen. And the waters of the Yamsuf part open. And they don't just part and recede back and allow for you to see ground. The ground dries up. Have you ever walked at the beach and hit where the, the, the really deep sand is and you kind of sink in and your feet get stuck and you got to, or when the, the water recedes as the tide goes out and the sand where it was is all muddy and you get stuck in it, your shoes get stuck in it and you, uh, you go kayaking or canoeing or tubing and your, uh, your water shoes get stuck in the, the mud underneath the river or what have you, right? That wasn't the case. They walked through on dry ground. This is beyond miraculous. This is beyond God showing his power and authority. This is God showing the reality that not only did he create all, but he controls all nature. And in so has provided a means for salvation. Moses said, stand still, be quiet, and watch God's salvation. And here Israel starts to see the waters part before them. They begin to cross on dry ground. The Lord has prepared a way for them Proverbs says that man plans out his steps, but the Lord has ordered his footsteps. We plan out our own lives, but the Lord has ordered his footsteps. Here the Lord has literally ordered the footsteps of Israel across the dry ground where once a water of sea existed. They get through on the other side as soon as the last footsteps across the presence of the Lord lifts and comes back over to lead Israel in the wilderness and the nation of Egypt goes, oh, there they are, there they are, let's go. And they charge in after them and it says as soon as they charge in that God caused confusion, that the wheels of the chariots fall off. I mean, you can't get much more crazy of a story than this. The wheels of the chariots just happen to fall off and the waters come crashing down upon them. 
The Egyptian uh, military cries out before the waters crash on. Let us turn back to Egypt now because clearly their God is fighting for them. Israel, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob couldn't open their eyes enough because of the fear to see that God was fighting for them. Here the Egyptians that wanted to wipe them off the face of the earth could see that God was fighting for them could see that the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not only was powerful, all-powerful, that he had the greatest authority, all authority over things in heaven and earth, but they could recognize that he was fighting for them, and they could not fight back against them. And it made me think about Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. This is Yeshua uh, and his disciples. It says, as he got into the boat, Yeshua got in the boat. His disciples followed him. Suddenly a great storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being covered by the waves, but Yeshua kept sleeping. So they came to him, woke him, saying, Master, save us, we're perishing. In Mark's account of this, Mark's account says that they came to Yeshua and said, do you not care that we're going to die? Kind of sounds like Egypt, right? Moses, was it not bad enough we could have died there? We could have died with food and with meat and with all this stuff, and it would have been great. Kind of how quickly we forget how bad things really were in the past. But here they cry, Yeshua, do you not care that we're about to die? Verse 25, so they came and woke him up saying, Master, save us, we're perishing. Verse 26, he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? These are the disciples that have walked hand in hand with Yeshua. They've seen what he can and will do. And... They're seeing an example of what he wants to do through them because of his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit, when the mantle is placed upon them. He said, and why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he got up and rebuked the the winds and the sea, and it became totally calm. The men were amazed, saying, what kind of person is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. They were so locked up because of fear so locked up at the potential of what could happen if the boat capsized because of the storm that they couldn't recognize there's a reason Yeshua had such shalom, such peace that he could be asleep in the midst of the storm. They couldn't recognize that maybe they could operate in the same authority as Yeshua HaMashiach. They couldn't recognize what was going on around them. We roll a few chapters forward to chapter 14, verse 22. We have another account of Israel on the waters and the waters getting rough. Right away, Yeshua, or not Israel, the disciples, sorry, on the waters and the waters getting rough. Right away, Yeshua made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the hillside by himself to pray and when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long way from the land, tossed around by the waves for the wind was against it. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Yeshua came to them walking on the sea. It's amazing how often God operates in our midst and the darkness of the night. When we can't see what's going on around us, when we can't see any other options. Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out with fear. And immediately Yeshua spoke to them saying, take courage, I am, do not be afraid. By the way, when Yeshua says, I am, and he says it again in other places here, he's not just saying, I'm here. It's not like he's saying, hey, I am Yeshua, and I'm here. I'm here to party. He's referencing Yeshua speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai when Moses says, well, who should I tell Israel sent me? And the Lord says, I am that which I am. I am that which I've always been. Yeshua is saying, I am. 
He's declaring himself a yea, a yea. He's saying he has got himself robed in flesh, tabernacling amongst them. And the disciples recognize this immediately. He says, but immediately Yeshua spoke to them saying, take courage, I am, don't be afraid. Answering, Peter said to him, Master, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Yeshua, but seeing the wind, he became terrified. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Master, save me. Immediately Yeshua reached out his hand and grabbed him. And he said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat and the wind ceased and those in the boat worshipped him saying, You really are Ben Elohim, the Son of God. Peter becomes terrified. Could you imagine? You get out of the boat in the midst of a storm and you're walking on the surface of the water. As you're looking to God himself, robed in flesh, standing before you, you're walking to him. I don't know that any of us wouldn't look down and look around and go, what the crap am I doing out here? How do I get out of this? Oh, I'm going down, going down, going down. Here's Peter walking. He's walking on water. And he cries out as he begins to sink. says he got terrified. And beginning to sink, he cries out, Master, save me. And Yeshua's words are, Oh, you of little faith. How many times in our life has the Lord led us to do something? Has he given us a call to do something? And look, I'm not talking just like this grandiose idea of a calling for our life of ministry or of this job or that job or whatever. I mean, anything. Standing in the grocery line and the Lord says, talk to the person in front of you. Hopefully not, you know, in the bathroom, the Lord says, talk to the person on the other side of the wall. That's just weird, but don't turn it down if he says, do it. See where it's going. But how many times have we been in a situation where the Lord says, I want you to do this? And we go, but, but God, what are, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? What, what, what if they don't like it? What if they get mad? What if, what if you, know, you walk around a Hasidic community in New York and you go to preach the gospel, you try to share about Yeshua, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get knocked out. It's going to happen. Just the reality. They're going to spit in your face. They're going to punch you. Some may try to drive you down with their car. Who knows? But it doesn't matter because anything short of doing what the Lord has called you to do, commanded you to do, has ushered you to do is walking in fear, not in faith. And the Lord says to the disciples the first time the waters rocked the boat and he says to Peter here when the waters are rocking the boat again, oh, you of little faith. How often do we let fear hold us back from the reality, the blessings that are awaiting us and the future that the Lord has in store for us? How often do we allow fear to block our visualization from seeing the reality in the spirit that the battle has already been fought and victory has already been given and all we have to do is walk in it. I'll never forget the first time I was asked to speak at the Southeast region. I'll look, I've been going to this conference for 20-something years. I've been there every year most of my life. Uh, and the first time they asked me to speak as a rabbi at the conference on, I mean, I've taught classes there in the, the breakout sessions and stuff, but, but the first time they asked me to speak on stage in front of a 1,000 people, uh, I, I, I mean, immediately knew exactly what the Lord wanted me to say. I mean, it was instantaneous. I knew the message the Lord put on my heart. Uh, months in advance, I knew exactly what he had in store. And as the conference is rolling up and it's getting a little closer, I'm talking to Danielle and, and I go, you know, I really feel like the Lord's put a message on my heart. She goes, awesome, awesome. You gotta, I said, but I really feel like it's one of those things that either everybody's really gonna love it 
or I will never be given an opportunity like this again. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, it's, it's a call from the Lord for us to put aside some of the issues that exist in the Messianic movement and to move forward. And, and it's going to rock some boats and it's going to stomp on some toes of machers and leadership, of people in leadership, of important people in the movement. And, it's, and, it, and it very well could, could hurt some feelings. And she goes, and I said, and I, I said so, so it's one of those, it's either everybody's going to love it or I will never have an opportunity like this again. And she goes, then maybe you shouldn't say it. And I said, but, but the Lord put this on my heart and if I don't say it, then what does that say about me? Thankfully, I got up to say it and I wasn't stoned or shot or anything and I've had a few more times to go back and everybody loved it and, and what have you. But, but the reality is, is if I had, had, had out of just well, fear of what, what's going to happen. I mean, these people can, you know, they, they, they control so much in the movement. These are people that, that ultimately I have to answer to in our rabbinic organization. These are people that I've respected for years on end. These are people at this conference that I have witnessed and worshiped with and, and, and been taught with and fed with for decades. And the Lord put a message on my heart to stand before them and to condemn some of the things that we allow to happen in the movement that we allow to happen to the body of Messiah as a whole, how much worse would it have been if I had turned down what the Lord had asked me to say or to do? Or worse yet, how many lives would have been robbed of the blessing of what God wanted to speak into their lives through that word that he had ordained for that purpose at that specific moment had I responded with sheer terror and walked away from it? See, each of us, the Lord has designed, has gifted, and has called for very specific purposes. And throughout our lives, he puts very specific divine appointments in our path for very specific reasons. And unfortunately, far too often, we end up like my kids who go, dude, this is awesome, let's go. Daddy, I don't want to do this anymore. Daddy, I don't want to do this anymore. How many of us cry out, Abba, use me. Abba, use me. And then the Lord puts us in situations where he wants to use us and we go, nope, daddy, I'm, I'm out. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I'm, I'm good. You can pick somebody else. I imagine Jeremiah was like that. Jeremiah was in the lineage of the, of the priesthood, of the Kohanim. He already had a pretty awesome and important job. And here the Lord calls him out to call the nation of Israel to repentance, to stomp on a bunch of toes, to cause a lot of hurt and offense in people's lives. I imagine as we saw with Jeremiah arguing with the Lord, as we saw with Moses arguing with the Lord, that far too often we as humans are really quick to go, but no, I don't know, God, you may have, I don't know that you got a good read on the situation here. Do you know what they're going to do to me? Do you know what they're going to say? Do you know what's going to happen? And we have this picture in our minds of that, the, the gif on social media when somebody goes, when I post my political comments and here's Johnny Depp as uh, uh, Captain Jack Sparrow from uh, uh, the, the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies running and here's all these natives running behind him wanting to tie him up to a stake and boil him and kill him and eat him. Uh, and I imagine that as the Lord calls us to do something, most of us kind of picture ourselves in that situation post doing what the Lord called us to do. And we're imagining Egypt crushing down upon us. But the reality is, is the Lord has already prepared the way. And all he wants us to do is to stand still, shut our mouths, and watch his salvation. Because look, 
As a follower of Messiah, there's nothing more the Lord wants to do through you than to use you to lead others to his salvation. There are countless people in the world around us who are standing at the Yom Suf with the enemy crashing down upon them in a hurry. And the Lord has used, placed us as those carrying his Shekhinah, his divine glory, his presence, his Ruach HaKodesh, to stand in the gap between them and the past that's crashing in upon them to make sure that they see the future blessings God has in store. And unfortunately, way too often, we're too quick to go, go ahead, enemy. It's all yours. It's all yours. Whatever you want to do. I think it's time that we wake up as believers, as followers of Messiah, and understand that the Lord has called us not to be walking in fear and trepidation, but to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the one who has anointed us to do good things for his kingdom to walk in the empowerment of the light of the presence in this dark world and to understand that no matter what we face, no matter how bad the waters are rocking, no matter how bad it feels like the boat's about to capsize, no matter how much we see and think that the, the, the mast, the, the, the uh, ship's mast for its sail is about to crash over, that we stand firm in our peace, that we trust faithfully in his leading that we stand still and watch his salvation. Because the Lord's telling you and me, just as he's told Peter, come on, step out in the waters. Come on, come on. It's ready for you. Just put the fear behind you. We all have pasts. We all have things in our life that we go, what if people know? What if somebody finds out? And the Lord's saying, who cares? Who cares what people think? I already know. I was there, I saw it, and I still want you. I still love you. I've still called you for this purpose. Walk away from the fear and trust in my promises. Trust in my blessing. Trust in my calling. Trust in the future that I have in store for you and trust in my salvation. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you, Father. We thank you that you have, in fact, provided salvation through the blood its home in a Messiah Yeshua, and that you have called each and every one of us as followers of Messiah Yeshua to boldly stand in the truth of your salvation. That, Father, when we get to the tops of the stairs and we look down below it at uh, the, the height that we're at and, and how far we could fall, that, Lord, we need to trust and understand that you are holding us up to trust that you are our daddy and you will not let us fall, that you will not let us fail if we are walking in your direction, in your leading, in your calling, being led by your Ruach HaKodesh. Breathe new life into us today, Lord, that we may leave here boldly ready to see the work of your besor, of your good news, of your gospel of Messiah Yeshua go forth into this dark world. And Father, use us to light the world around us for your purposes, for your kingdom be glorified before all men. B'shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen and Amen.